is Luke 3, verses 1 to 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to see John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What shall we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all, and he locked John up in prison. I'm excited uh, because we get to get back into Luke. It's been a little while. We've been on summer break. Um, so this morning we're digging back into Luke. Um, I'm also excited because we get to talk about John the Baptist this morning. Um, I don't know if there's some of you that watch The Chosen or have seen The Chosen. John the Baptist is referred to as Creepy John. My, my kids love that whole idea. So anyways, Peter um, sees John and his camel hair and eating bugs, and so Peter in the series refers to him as Creepy John. So, also excited about that. Um, but, um, and we get to understand this morning, what was John's ultimate purpose? And so if you notice in the title, we have leveling the playing field. That's kind of where we're going to get to this morning. But before we jump into this chapter, um, uh, we just want to talk about a reminder, who was Luke, right? Who is this guy that, um, that we're reading? Luke is an um, author of Luke and Acts as well. Uh, right, that comes right after the Gospels. Um, he was a Gentile physician. Uh, he's a missionary companion of Paul. Um, and that this book, the book of Luke, is addressed to Theophilus. And so, um, but it's intended for all believers. So we're not exactly sure who uh, Theophilus was. 
But we can guess from the beginning of Luke, um, it's, he's, Luke's title for Theophilus was Most Excellent, which is a pretty high title. Um, so someone of high rank and influence. And later in Acts, we see um, the same uh, Most Excellent um, for Felix and Festive, Festus. And they were both Roman officials, so there's a good possibility uh, that Theophilus was a high Roman official. Um, so, moving on, um, the theme that Luke presents to us in this book is that Jesus as the Messiah, and who, Messiah and Lord whose life, death, and resurrection makes salvation available to, here's the important word, all people everywhere which is really great for him considering he himself was a Gentile, right? It, there was nothing really promised to him throughout the Old Testament, so he as a Gentile gets this good news that says, oh, guess what? The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. This includes me, and so he's very happy to share that, which is one of his, this is one of his main themes. So um, the purpose of knowing what a main theme is for a book is that when we read through Luke together, um, we can be looking for how Luke keeps introducing this area, uh, this main theme throughout the book. Um, and then we're going to do that here today. So let's be looking today and in the following weeks for how salvation is available to all people everywhere and take some of these thoughts and themes and say, all right, how can we apply this into our lives? How can we apply it into the way that we're seeing our friends? How can we apply it to the way we see our colleagues? How can we apply this theme that salvation is for everyone to maybe the people that we don't like so much? Or maybe we can apply this to someone who we thought, I think the gospel is for everybody, but I don't know if it's really for such and such a person or somebody from such and such a religion. Um, the gospel is for everybody. And this is one of the main things that we see through, sorry, this, this is one of the things that we see through the book of Luke. So um, we're going to move on to timing. I'll explain why this is important as well. Um, in the first two verses of Luke, this gives us crucial information when John's teaching was taking place. John the Be so he kind of frames us up in a really interesting way. Um, it was a customary way to begin historical narratives. And I just want to highlight historical narratives because what Luke is doing here is it's just not a tales and fables and things he just kind of compiled together and made up. This is, this is biblical truth. This is historical truth. And so um, the importance of that is that the way he begins this book um, it's an authorship style um, that can withstand the test of time. It can be verified. That's why um, we're going to take a look at that in just a second. Why does he start in this historical, um, in this historical manner? Um, in grade school, I think, oh, fifth grade. What's fifth grade? How old is that? In year four? Year four? Thank you. Yeah, maybe. Um, we did a, a history report on World War II. And me and this, I was paired with this other girl. Very unfortunate situation for her. A very good situation for me. <laughs> she was a genius at that time. Um, and they said, you are going to cover um, the death of Hitler. And so I said, that's great. And we kind of divided how that was going to work up. 
And um, she took her part and she gave me, this is the part that you're gonna research, Rich, and this is the part that you're going to work on. And I think she knew who I was and she knew my tendencies, so she kind of tried to lay it all out for me. I waited till the last day before it had to be turned in and I went, nobody really knows about Hitler, do they? And so I made up some stuff <laughs> about his death. So I dated, I dated um, his death sometime, I think it was sometime in the 70s. Hitler died sometime <laughs> in the 70s, because I was like, that's way before my time, no one's gonna question this. <laughs> the problem with that is that when you went, looked at my report, it wasn't verifiable, right? Someone could see this, and, and they could easily see like, mm, there's a problem, the dates aren't lining up. Um, this is not a resource that we're going to use to further our education about World War II. And, and so, how did Luke, how did Luke verify um, what he was writing? So, we know that John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah, began his ministry somewhere between September A.D. 27 and October of A.D. 28. And we know this because he took seven different people who were in governing roles and two high priests and overlapped them to give a really specific window of time. And so that's what he did. He just took all the people that were in power in this time and said, all right, this is when John began his ministry. These are the big events in our world that are happening. So everyone could look back to that and say, yeah, that lines up. Oh, yeah, I know who was in power. Oh, okay. Oh, it actually overlapped with such and such a priest at that time. And so that was the purpose of that, to help it become um, verifiable. So we know that it was in the reign of Tiberius Caesar and Pontius Pilate was there, um, Herod, um, his brother Philip. You just see all these different people lining up and that gives us a precise window, looking back almost 2,000 years, right, of, yeah, this is when John's ministry began. Another way that um, they began historical narratives is by introducing prophetic books or verses as he does with Isaiah uh, chapter 40. And what we want to look, up, look at here is that when we're reading Scripture and we're in the New Testament and we're seeing prophecy in the beginning of a chapter or in the beginning of a book, we want to be looking at how does this line up with the current events of what's happening uh, in the book that we're actually reading. And I really, really love how Luke does this um, because he's saying, as it is written, um, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, this is how he's beginning this chapter. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all, this is, look at what Luke's highlighting here, and all flesh Right? Salvation is for everyone. So Luke chose this very specifically. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So here in Luke, we have, um, it's like this is the next installment of a really epic TV series. Um, and where he's taking this prophecy and he's doing a little flashback, a reminder. What did you see last week? And you're like, oh yeah. As people are kind of settling into their couches for their TV series, they go, oh yeah, I remember that. And it helps you it helps kind of prime our minds to say, oh, yeah, this is what was happening. It uh, brings us up to speed. Um, and they're primed and ready to go. And um, the last episode, this, 
This was like 700 years BC. So this is a very important reminder and flashback before he jumps in to who John the Baptist is. So this flashback is really helpful because he's like, hey, we're in, this is the ADs now, 700 BC. Here's a brief reminder. Um, clothing styles have changed, I'm sure, dramatically. Music styles have changed. Country borders have changed. And everybody that was once alive when Isaiah the prophet was walking the planet was now dead. So thank you, Luke. Reminders are very helpful. So um, John the Baptist is teaching. So we're going to get into what was John actually saying. And this is verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so what we're seeing here is that people are moving into action by getting baptized um, as a symbol um, for their repentance of sin. It's their desire, they're, they're showing their desire to change, to turn 360 degrees into the opposite direction away from their sin. And then uh, 180 degrees. Some math people are going 360 degrees is a circle, Rich. <laughs> 180 degrees. Okay, good. Um, so people were coming to John with specific sins that they wanted to see forgiven. Um, and through baptism, they are pub publicly declaring and uh, communicating, hey, I, I want to change. I want to die to my sins and begin uh, again. So the link to baptism today is that we're not baptizing people for their specific sins. Um, people that we baptize in this church, they're not saying, hey, this is a problem that I have. I want to get baptized and start over again. The baptisms that we're doing here is just an outward expression of what the forgiveness that's already happened on the inside uh, through Christ Jesus. They've already been forgiven uh, for their sins past, present, and future. They've engaged in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the baptism that happens here is saying, I've given my life to Jesus. He has changed my life, and this is an action to show publicly, hey, I'm dying to my old life, not a specific sin necessarily. And Jesus has given me a new life. So um, what are some of the discussions that are happening here with John? Who's there? Who's listening to him? Um, and first we have the Jewish uh, religious leaders and teachers that are present. Um, in verse 7, it says, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? We know that he's talking to the Pharisees here and the Sadducees because we find these details in Matthew uh, 3, 7. So it doesn't say the Pharisees and the Sadducees here in Luke. But if, if you, when you're reading through the Gospels, there's a lot of stories that line up. And you can get different details from a different book, from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, John. You can kind of line them up. And sometimes you get a little bit bigger and fuller picture uh, of what's happening here. So just... Um, that's what we find in Matthew 3, 7. We know that he's talking to the Pharisees. And so John the Baptist, um, what he's telling them is basically repent and you will see fruit. And there's no excuses or loopholes. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, so this is what a lot of the Jewish people, the Pharisees would have been saying, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, 
and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And so one of the reasons that John points this out is because Jewish people often believed that they were saved by virtue um, of their descent from Abraham. So they would look back and say, you know what? My genealogy goes right to Abraham, therefore I can be saved. They were depending on their family tree, and they're like, all right, I'm, I'm good, no worries whatsoever. And John is saying, the, John the Baptist is going, no, this isn't the case, right? It's not about your heritage. You can't count on your roots to be saved. The axe is coming down on those roots. Um, it's about to change. It's, it's, something, it's about something else, and Luke is highlighting here, again, when we talk about the theme of Luke, he's highlighting in John teaching his basic theme, right? This good news is for everyone. It's just not the people that are connected through heritage all the way back to Abraham. This is for everybody. And so when you think of the, the, the tree, the roots are being cut, there's a different way. It's not through this family tree that you can be saved. Good news is for everyone. Okay, who else is there? There's common folk there. Um, Probably the normal people of society, some of the poor people of society may have been there as well. Um, and they're asking the question, and they want to know how they can be forgiven. And so the crowds ask, this is verse 10, what then shall we do? So they're curious. They're like, all right, you talk to Pharisees, and what are we supposed to do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with them he who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. So John is addressing their sin, um, looking for fruit, and addressing the heart, right? When you don't have a lot, our tendency is to be like, no, I want to keep what I can. If you don't have a lot, that means generosity is something that you don't have to participate in. And John's going, well, you know what? That's actually not the case. You're supposed to be sharing. The poorest people um, in society at that time might have had one cloak, maybe a second cloak for special occasions. Um, so if you only have two cloaks and you're giving one away, I mean, it, it's a big deal. It's not, it's not something that's like, oh, yeah, I have some spare change. Like, this was a big deal. Um, but he's saying, like, one cloak is enough, so it's okay. Share with he that has none. Um, the question, what shall we do? Acknowledge your sin, change, and bear fruit. Who else was there? Uh, we have the tax collectors. Uh, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. If we have any idea of who the tax collectors were at that time, we knew that they were collecting more. Um, at times, people would move regions completely to avoid certain tax collectors because they knew that they would just run them into the ground. And so the tax collectors are asking, hey, oh, we're here, what, should, what are we supposed to do? Acknowledge their sin, change, and bear fruit. John's message is the same there as well. Then we have soldiers that are there as well. Um, the soldiers are also asking, you know, they might have been there just to make sure they were keeping the peace. Could have been Roman soldiers just being like, hey, what is this John the Baptist talking about? We're just making sure, feeding back information. But they're there and they're like, whoa, what are we supposed to do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. Uh, be content with your wages. All right? So the question again, what are we supposed to do? Acknowledge sins, change, and bear fruit. 
So as people were in expectation, verse 15, and were all questioning in their hearts concerning John whether or not he might be the Christ. What's happening in this verse here? John's teaching is convicting the crowd, right? It's bringing everybody to a place where they realize their need to change and to be forgiven. Everybody that's there. The listeners are being convicted of their sin, made aware of their sin, and as Luke would have it, he's beautifully bringing forth his message that salvation is for everyone. And he framed this so well when he chose Isaiah chapter 40, um, when he said, every valley shall be filled. Yeah, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and the flesh and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. What we're seeing is there's different we're seeing different levels of society are bringing being brought to the same level. When you're talking about mountains, we're just culturally we had Pharisees and Sadducees, and we had the normal common folk, the poor of the society, and you had the soldiers that were over here, and you had the tax collectors, and you had all these people asking the same question, what about us? What about us? No one was above this, and it all felt like it wasn't about the family tree. It wasn't, they realized, they were looking at one another, and they're like, what's happening here? Is this the Christ? This is the question that they started, they, they started asking. So the crowd in their unity in sin are asking this question. Is this the Christ? Are we all in the same boat? I would never have guessed that, look, I'm a common person and, and you're a tax collector. And it seems to me like I have an issue with sin because I asked and you asked and I heard his answer. And, well, it seems to me that you have an issue with sin as well. Oh, this soldier here that I'm very afraid of with the sword, you know, at his waist. You know, I'm intimidated by him, but it seems to me like he's actually in the same place as us as well. John the Baptist was being an infomercial, was like an infomercial. I'm not saying that very well. Infomercial. I don't know what you guys think about when you think about infomercials, but he was the infomercial for Jesus. Nothing. No idea. Let me explain. Um, Infomercials, uh, in, in my mind, in the States are usually at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night where you have someone explaining, Do you, are you tired of getting out of your couch to turn off your television? <sighs> and you see someone like struggling to get out of their couches and like walk over to turn the TV off. And they're like, well, we have a solution for you. Like it was called the clapper back in the day. Like you'd clap and the lights would go on and the TV would go on. And clap on, clap off. Didn't get here. There's probably a reason for that. Anyways, they would spend the first, it was a super long commercial, okay? It was a long commercial, and they spent the first chunk of time just explaining to you, like, why you need their product. And they wouldn't reveal the product right away, but it was just all these ridiculous, are you tired of wrapping up cords and getting them tangled, and is people getting them, like, all tied around their arms? And it was just, like, one example after another. And what they were doing is they were getting everybody to go, yeah. I feel like that. And you look at the person on the couch next to you like, I have that same issue. And, and all of a sudden, everybody in the room is just waiting to find out what the solution is to all their life's problems. And then the infomercial goes, bam, we have the clapper. 
bam, we have the electro cord wrapper. And it shows how it makes life so much easier and so much simpler, et cetera, et cetera. Are you guys on board with an info infomercial? Good. Okay, moving on. That only took a couple minutes. <laughs> um, this is what John is doing for Jesus, right? He's like, hey, are you having a sin problem? Yeah, what about you over there? You're having a sin problem too? Yeah, you guys up there, you're having a sin problem? Guess what? I have a solution for you, and his name is Jesus. That's what John is doing, and it's leveling the playing field, and everybody is looking at the situation going, we're all in the same boat, which is, right, what Luke wants to communicate to us through his theme, right? Salvation is available to all mankind. Um, so yeah, so Creepy John came through and he's declaring who Jesus is. So Luke, we're going to continue on. Chapter, uh, verse 16. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, whose strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So this is the point where he's saying, look, Jesus is coming, he's perfect, he's on his way. He's actually already here, and I'm preparing the way, right? The voice in the wilderness prepared the way. Um, he, through Jesus, is coming the ultimate forgiveness of sins. This isn't just one sin, this is the ultimate forgiveness that's coming. Um, I can't untie his sandals because he's perfect, he's holy, and through his salvation you will receive the Holy Spirit, God in us. And so what he's talking about here is baptized by the Spirit. This um, part of it, we'll, we'll jump to Ephesians 1.13 and 14. Um, in him, in Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. And so John, what he's saying here is that Jesus is bringing, is giving us access to this seal, the Holy Spirit's seal that says, I belong to God, right? When we accept Christ, we're baptized into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. He's the one who's going to say, yes, this individual belongs to you, God, through what Jesus Christ did for you. So... This is just a, a, a redemption stamp that we get to carry with us into eternity. Um, so, John, now that the playing now that the playing field has been leveled, John continues to point to Jesus. Um, but we also see that John he's also mentioned fire. Oh, sorry, I was re-highlighting what Luke is wanting to communicate. Um, he also refers to fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what's going on with the fire aspect? Verse 17, it kind of follows up right after. It says, his winnowing fork in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many exhortations, he preached good news to the people. So with Jesus, John's like, Jesus is coming. But with Jesus is also coming this ultimate decision that's going to decide eternity for each and every one of us. Level playing field, one Jesus, but we all come to a point where there's 
one decision that we all have to come to. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection pushes us towards this decision. And the question is, are we going to be gathered as we into the barn? Or is the burning of the chaff, the leftovers? That's the question that this is putting, pushing us to, which seems harsh. It's the reality. But he doesn't finish with that. He finishes with, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. There was a harsh reality and followed by a so, right? The so is really, really important. It's because of this harsh reality, this decisive decision that needs to be made, that he continued preaching the good news, right? Um, my kids were really well behaved, and so I bake them a cake, right? Uh, or maybe they're extremely disobedient, so I grounded them for life. Like, there's, there's, the so is really key in, in, in this verse. So with many other exhortations, it's the because of the decision that was laid before us, he preached good news to the people. I really want you to hang on to that this is a positive thing. He's giving us the solution, right? It's the infomercial. We all have a problem. We're all at the same place. But there's Jesus. There's Jesus. There's Jesus. This is good news. And John's message was to see people get saved and that is a message of hope for absolutely everyone. So what would Luke want for us after reading this chapter? What's his, what, is, what does he want us to take away from here? Leaving out these doors, every single person you cross, every single person you know, the gospel is for them. The people that sometimes we don't have time to stop and talk to, the gospel is for them. The people that we're not expecting to ever know Jesus or see this incredible life change, Jesus is for them as well. Jesus is for the neighbors that, it's a long story, we don't know who our neighbors are. We've never seen them. We just see lights on at like 11 o'clock at night and hear some murmuring. That's it. Jesus is for them as well, even though we've never even seen them. Jesus is for everyone. I think that's something that Luke wants us to hang on to as we finish this chapter. And so the question is, right, who can you share with this week with this perspective, this perspective that Luke really wants to hit home? Who will you share with this week with this perspective that the gospel is for everyone? The chapter ends here, well, the, up to verse 20. It says, we see that um, John was speaking some truth to Herod at the time that Herod did not appreciate. Um, so Herod ended up putting him into prison. Uh, but that is to be continued for a different Sunday as we continue working through Luke. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this, this message that we saw from John the Baptist, through Luke's eyes, God, of how the gospel is truly for everyone, for all people, for all flesh. Thank you for uh, the reminder of what we saw in the book of Isaiah, that prophecy explaining that all the different levels are going to 
uh, of society, whether high, low, crooked, God, you're going to bring them all to the same place of a knowledge and understanding that we need a Savior because we're all in the same boat and we're all sinners. And the answer is Jesus. God, thank you for that clarity. Thank you how you just pieced everything together um, for the historical parts of it to, so we can read this and say, yeah, this really happened. Um, thank you for the prophetic things that he put in there from the book of Isaiah saying, yeah, what I'm filling you in on is what had started so many years ago. This is the continuation of this prophecy. And thank you uh, for John being able to declare um, to not only the people that are in front of him, but to us today for a need for a Savior. And thank you that he prepared the way for Jesus. In Jesus' precious name, amen.